Hey, this has been uh, some technical difficulties prevented me from updating this episode. The new correct information is Uptown Community Podcast is an independent production and has no financial ties. Everything else is true and deserves to be re-listened to. Enjoy. Welcome to the Uptown Community Podcast, where we see what we can learn, who we can get to know, and if we can understand each other and our neighborhood a little bit more. We make up a brilliant tapestry. By examining the various threads and aspects of our community, we can appreciate how each and every person contributes in their own unique way. I used to have my own radio show, you know. Oh, really? On Light FM. Okay. Yeah, it was it was a public affairs show. Uh, Light FM, and uh, me and a and a white British-born Catholic priest. Huh. We had a show called The Race Question. Yeah, welcome to the Uptown Community Podcast. Well, and good to be here. Hey. Um, and it's another jacket episode. I'm with uh, the window cracked for ventilation and our masks on. And who do I have the pleasure of speaking with today? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm supposed to answer? Yeah. Oh, this is me, Lowell. Lowell Thompson. Okay. The brother man from the other land. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, I have various uh, nicknames that people call me, <laughs> at least the ones to my face. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so, uh, <laughs> brother man from the other land. The is... brother man from the other land. <laughs> like John Shaft. Yeah. In Africa. Well, you're always ready to go. You're an idea machine. But we'll I've start been, up. I've been called lots of things. I like that. <laughs> I'm an idea. As a matter of fact, I came up with the, with the line or a logo, the idea uh, factory. I was going to do a logo with a big, like, uh, a, a smoke pipe coming out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> the idea factory. Idea manufacturing, Inc. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. Huh? Why not? Why not? <laughs> well, well, we'll start kind of basic. Um, and uh, I think the most basic levels, just by talking about the weather, it's um, it's bright. It's still cool. It's, but it's sunny. I mean, it's, it's in the it's double nice. digits. Yeah. And, it's not, and, the, and the wind's not blowing. Now that the sun has gone, it, the sun is out, and the snow is shoveled in a lot of the pathways so you can walk yeah <laughs> so it's, it's not nearly as bad as it was what three days ago right all right Lowell uh, you're an artist in the, the Preston Bradley building here um, at the Preston Bradley building and I'm um, you're a local artist I'm um, for uptown did you say local or loco uh, both. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to take that. <laughs> Do you have artist 
art in the neighborhood? Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite pieces that I like to talk about, I took pictures of it this morning, as a matter of fact. I've been taking pictures, I've taken thousands of pictures of my uptown's colored wheel, right? Yeah. And I've, since the big snow, I've been taking lots of pictures of what I call the wheel in winter. Okay. And I've got one the other day of people walking past when the snow had been blowing, and it's almost like it's been frosted, a frosted wheel, right? Oh, wow. And it's nice. So I'm and, and I'm I'm actually writing a book. I've taken thousands and thousands of pictures of people with the wheel in front of the wheel, friends, people I don't know, and it's going to be the basis of my book that I call From Black and White to Colored. And it's going to be my picture, going to be me in front of the wheel when half of the picture of me in front of the wheel will be black and white mm. and the other half will be in full color. Okay. Right? And it's my uh, treatise, I would say, on how we can turn this country from a white supremacist, racist uh, uh, hypocrisy into a full-color democracy where everybody is welcome. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm working on right now. Well, the wheel is in front of the historic Riviera Theater on Broadway, strategically yeah. located. I mean, I couldn't have made this up. Somebody had told me, hey, what would be the best place to put something like this so nobody can miss it? I've got the best spot in Uptown for the wheel, so. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I, so. I can't complain. I don't complain. <laughs> nobody would listen if I did, you know? I need to go back and re-record where we introduced the idea of all the little parts um, that go on as we go through the surface to depth conversation and um, talking about roles. So I asked um, Lowell what kind of roles he has. You mean sweet roles or? <laughs> no, oh, you, oh, roles. You mean as in acting. Okay, I get it. Look, look, if, if I had a, a, a dime for all the different stuff, I started off, let me go back to the beginning. I was born in 1947, October 8th, 1947, which October 8th is a historic, important date in the history of Chicago. Uh -huh. And I always tell people, hey, my birthday is on the same day as one of the most important events in the history of Chicago. And I know, you don't, I know you're in suspense, uh -huh. so I'm going to tell you. October 8th, 19... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I, I got too excited. October 8, 1871. The Great Chicago Fire. That's okay. when it was. Okay, so who is the person? I'll give you a hint. J.J. are the initials. And he's. I think he's six years older than I am. J.J. Jesse Jackson. Jesse Jackson, okay. Jesse Jackson. His birthday is the same day as mine, October 8th. So anyway, so I was born on October 8th, 1947, on the south side of Chicago. I was born on the street, probably the first street ever named after an African-American in the city. I'm still doing research to find out if it's true, but I was born on the street called Giles, G-I-L-E-S. Found out later when I was in my 40s or 50s that Giles 
was an African-American soldier who fought and died in World War I in the Argonne Forest in France. And he was killed in a battle, and they named the street after him in the 1920s. This is at a time when African-Americans were hardly even allowed to be in the city. I mean, uh, let's say, well, uh, uh, 20 years before. But in 1947, I was born on that street named after an African-American man who fought and died in France for the United States in World War I. So how's that for history? Which gives me a great segue. I told you I want to talk about this event, this important, the most important event in my life right now is the fact that my book, and it's published by one of, by probably the biggest publisher in the country of pictorial history books, Arcadia Publishing. My book, African Americans in Chicago, is now available in both hardcover and softcover where downtown Macy's on State and Randolph, my book, hardcover and softcover, are on display on the first floor now because this is Black History Month. You can get signed copies of my book at Barber's Bookstore, Macy's Downtown, right now. Yeah. Your role as an author, is that your first time with as a... Well, no, no, I've written my first book, as a matter of fact, since you brought it up. My first book I wrote in, uh, what, 1995. And it became one of the uh, first and few books that that became part of the text of the white studies movement at the time because I was really an ex-advertising guy. I was probably still doing advertising at that time, but I wrote a book called White Folks in Bur- uh, uh, Burlington, New Jersey in 1996. Huh. And I was there and I had my book and we were talking about, and these were mostly the people who were at the conference and the people who put it on were basically Urams, I call them. Some people call them white people who believe that the idea and the formation of the idea of whiteness is at the heart of our race problem. So they were a conference studying, hey, how did this come about? How did pink people become white people? Who yeah. did that? Why did they do it? And how are we gonna undo it? So of course, that was right up my, my alley. And so that was my first book in, in 1995. Then I wrote, um, I started writing articles and I've written other books, I've written uh, e-books, I've written self-published books, you know, and uh, so I've had maybe four or five books that I've that I've written, but this uh, African Americans in Chicago is the is the only one by a major publisher, and the, the great thing is because it's a pictorial history, and it's because of the distribution of this type of thing, and the clout that this publisher has, it's been in the stores like Barnes and Noble oh. in Chicago. Okay and Macy's and, uh, uh, or Barber's Bookstore in Macy's for seven, eight years. It's pretty apparent that I screwed up the audio on, luckily just on my end, not on Lowell's. And it's pretty obvious how much knowledge 
that Lowell has and that he's knowledgeable of all the these uh, black historic figures in in Chicago and elsewhere and wanted to know if he considers himself a historian. Well, I think of myself as a popularizer of history. You know, I I would never presume to call myself a historian. And I know people, uh, I know, like for my book, uh, African American in Chicago, I, did, I used as reference uh, books by real historians, one guy in particular, uh, Dr. Christopher Reed, Dr. Christopher Robert Reed, who was a professor, he's a professor emeritus of Roosevelt University, historian. He was one of the sources, he's in my bibliography in, uh, of my book. Uh, so he's a real historian and he's done very in-depth stuff on Chicago, and the history of African Americans in Chicago. Uh, so I wouldn't call myself a historian. And then there's people like even Dempsey Travis, who was not a historian, trained historian, but did lots of research and wrote books on the history of African Americans in Chicago. Timuel Black is a his, was a teacher and a historian, who's uh, who I use as reference uh, his books. Okay. Uh, Nathan Thompson, who wrote the book on the policy kings, the numbers racket guys, major research on that. But I uh, am somebody who popularizes history, makes it interesting, I think, to people who would normally never pick up a history book. And I think I'll go ahead and re-record the introduction to the third level as well, where I talked about some different ideas that go on and some ideas that relate to each other. As we're at the tail end of Black History Month, we look at the ideas of of race um, identities that I'm white and Lowell is black. No, but you're not. See, that's <laughs> this is this is what popular. This is what I'm doing with my colored wheel and everything. Ah. The fact is, you're not white. You're like a, a little pink, pink, peachy <laughs> pink, a little reddish peachy pink, and okay. I'm burnt umber with a touch of. Uh, uh, yeah, a little Sienna. Okay. That's what I am. And the whole idea, so my whole colored project, some of my best friends are colored, my Uptown's Colored Wheel, is about changing this idea that because you have a certain complexion, you are white, and as a result of that, you being white, you have a, a certain a, a traits that have been attributed to you by whoever, uh, well, by the people who, who who took the country from the Indians and made people like me slaves. But so, okay. So the idea of uh, how do we get these these people to go along with our program, where we want to take the country from the Indians and and make the African slave? How do we get them to go along with? It? How do we sell them on that idea? Well, let's say we're all white people and they're all blacks and reds and the white people got to stick together. Let's do that. Okay. Of course. The idea that you can, can without thinking, call yourself white and that I can usually call myself black because I know people understand that. 
the fact that we have to have a so-called Black History Month, which was started here in Chicago, by the way, as Negro History Week by Carter G. Woodson in the 1920s, I think. Carter G. Woodson. Uh, I'm writing an article right now uh, uh, related to this called The Miseducation of the Caucasian that's based on a, uh, on a riff on Carter G. Woodson's book, The Miseducation of the Negro. I'm working on that right now, so you play it right into my hands. <laughs> the miseducation, the problem is the miseducation of the Caucasian. And who's a Caucasian? Okay, that's another word. Where did that come from? Yeah. I read a book about that years ago and about where did the idea that so-called whites, who are not white, <laughs> become Caucasian. Where'd that come from? So it's all about, I mean, and maybe it's just me because I was an ad guy and I was used to coming up with, with themes and coming up with slogans and coming up with ways to make people think about something in a certain way that I'm more sensitive to it than most people. And I mean, it's become a part of my being. I mean, it's not something that, it's a, it's a sixth sense that is so natural to me that it's it's hard for me to believe that most people don't get it. But that's what I've done all my life, from, well, since I was 20 years old, is to come up with ways to communicate ideas to people in a certain way that they buy it, and they buy the product. It seems that uh, a really influential person was, or happening was, MLK was murdered and I, uh, the civil rights movement, um, it really kick-started the civil rights movement. I was, that was influential in your life? Well, that was a, a key moment in terms of my career in advertising. Okay. If that hadn't happened, or at least something that traumatic in terms of the civil rights movement, then I would not be here talking to you about my books and about my career in advertising. Yeah. Or any of that stuff. I mean, I was in the right place at the right time uh, with a little talent, right? And um, timing is, is, is very important. I tell people, they say, hey, what do, what's the most important thing? Is it uh, your intellect, your intelligence? Is it your talent as an artist? Or is it your, your tenacity as a blah, blah, whatever? I said, no, my greatest attribute, if I had to give up everything else, the thing that I would want to have is luck. L-U-C-K. Uh -huh. I was lucky. I'm, I'm a lucky man. Because uh, if I had been in the wrong place with the same talent, if I had been there two months earlier or, or three months later, mm -hmm. uh, they would have already hired somebody like me. They didn't need me anymore. They have their tokens. Okay. Or two months before that, they weren't looking for blacks or Negroes. So I was in the right place at the right time and the murder of Dr. King, but the whole civil rights movement that led up to that moment were a big part of my career, what made, gave me a career and what now fuels me to say, hey, I got to do something with what I learned in that career. 
you know, I can't be like a lot of people I know who are in the ad business who basically did 35, 40 years in the ad game and now they're resting on their laurels. Some would call it their behinds, but, uh, and they basically just sit around and, and talk about how bad the new advertising is compared to what they used to do. That's what they do, right? Mm -hmm. I know too many people <laughs> like that. You know, and they made a good living. You know, they don't need, they don't really need money. They don't need, really have to work. But they have sucked up and gotten all of these benefits for their little talent. I mean, they were just like me. They had a little talent in this and that. They weren't talented enough to be, or disciplined enough to be a professional writer writing books, or disciplined enough to be a professional artist doing art. They had just enough talent as a writer and artist to be an ad man or an ad woman. And they were lucky. When Dr. King was, was killed and the civil rights movement was kicked off, um, but was, was, is there anything that you can draw on from his life that has influenced either your career in um, consulting and uh, advertising or um, your career as a author and historian? Well, most, most of the things that I do are related to uh, race in some way and related to trying to change people's ideas about race and racism. So I see a direct link between Dr. King and not just Dr. King, but uh, Goodman, Cheney, and Swerner, the, the civil rights workers who were killed, brutally killed in Mississippi, two of them Urams or whites, one of them Afram or black, Violet uh, Liuzzi, who was killed, uh, a Uram woman uh, who went down south to try to help with the civil rights movement, who was brutally murdered. Uh, all of those people, I mean, Fannie Lou Hamer, Medgar Evers, all of these famous people and, and not famous people, people who nobody even knows of anymore, and who were uh, Urams and, and Asiams and, and Afams, uh, all of these people are the people who gave me the career that I am now y using to uh, communicate to people my ideas about race and, and ideas for solutions to the race problem. And that's what my Uptown's Colored Wheel is about. Uh, I've got a Monuments to Tomorrow project at the country. That's what I do. The person that is me that is listening back realizes that there's more of a, a complicated idea. Um, and it still takes me a couple um, times to try to articulate what what he's really getting at. But I am moving forward into level four. Last step of the discussion of surface to depth and then kind of seeing where else we can go in the future. So your your idea is, um, I mean, not, not breaking it down into to black and white, into looking at all the colors. And so honoring 
honoring those identities no matter what shade no matter what shade we are but also acknowledging our our I guess that's just individuality well it's not that I don't think it's very complicated once you look at the the bigger picture and you step back because we're we've been forced to do the black or white thing I mean we've been forced into that thinking to the point where the idea of anything other than that is inconceivable to most people, right? And it's not that they want to be racist or they want to be this or that, but that's the only options that they've been given. That's, hey, fill out this form. Are you black or are you white? That's it. There's no, there's no option. Mm. So part of my mission is to say, hey, there is an option. You don't have to, the world is not either black or white. And all you have to do is look to know, to know that. And young kids know that. If you ask a young kid who's four, five, six, seven years old, if I'm black, they're going to say, no, you're brown. Or if you ask them, hey, is, are you white? No, I'm, I'm pink. I'm peach colored, right? Mm -hmm. but, they've been, but as they get older, they, they're forced into this black or white mentality, right? So part of my mission is to change their perspective and to get them out of that to the point where they have another model in their heads. And one of the things that I've designed, my Uptown's Colored Wheel is an example, but beyond the Uptown's Colored Wheel, I want to do a series of monuments like that or, or sculptures like that. Maybe circular and they may be uh, the same size or bigger or smaller but they basically are, instead of, of different hues, which are like different color uh, signals, they are basically the same hue with, as you use the word, shades. We are basically shades and gradations of the same basic hue, the same basic color. That's what human skin is. My human circle, a human color spectrum does it all in one little circle. Uh -huh. Can you visualize that? Can you see what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I, I like the word spectrum because I, I think there's lots of um, things, are lots of identities and different uh, personalities that have, have uh, already decided that there's I mean there's um, autism spectrum and uh, there is the spectrum of sexuality there's a spectrum of lots of different things it, it is unfortunate that that race is the last thing to adopt the idea of, a, of having a spectrum mm -hmm. But I, I think it's it's still important to have terms to particular areas of that spectrum mm -hmm. because if I'm um, I think it's it's kind of a coulda shoulda woulda because we sh there should have been a, a spectrum when I'm um, your ends and 
Afrans all landed in North America, but it was one race oppressing another race. And if we totally ignore those areas of the spectrum, I think we could lose out on movements like the civil rights movement or the Black Lives Matter movement and to address inequalities that exist. No, no, but see, that's, that's, you're getting ahead of, of the, uh, you're getting ahead or behind uh, the program. So by saying that there's a spectrum does not negate the need to undo the damage caused mm -hmm. by ignoring the spectrum and the reality of the inequities, yeah. the, uh, the reality of the injustices, that they then, uh, like, not, what is it, not self-destruct, but they basically are paralyzed in thinking about the problem so that they can't look at the solution. They say, oh, well, you know, you can't talk about the spectrum because we've got to deal with this first. No. Tell the truth first. Find the goal first. That's what I've been doing. That's, what I, that's how I came up with the spectrum. Once yeah. you come up with the truth or with, like I said, my truth, and if you look at it and you say, yeah, I like it, I think that's true too. Now, what do we do to undo the damage so that we can actually get to this as a society? It's not a question of negating the problem. It's a question of looking at an answer and then figuring out how do you get there by dealing with what's happened, the problem. Now, do you, do you get that? I, I, I think so. Let me try again with um, the idea of, of not balance, but um, revisiting spectrum because we we realize that we're all on the, the same spectrum. We're all... We're all a piece of the same puzzle. We're all a part of that human spectrum. Yeah. And I'm saying that's my understanding and that's my truth. And if you say, well, no, we're not, then we can discuss that and say, well, okay, why do you say we're not? But if, I, but if you say, yeah, you know, we are. Now that I think about it, we are. That does not negate the fact that for years, for 500 years or whatever, people have negated that. It does not negate, negate the fact that something has to be done about it, that we have to do it, but it is acknowledging my, your, my truth and what I think will be your truth if you look at it. Uh -huh. Then the next step is say, okay, how do we get to that point where that is the norm and that's not the exception? Right now, what I'm saying is the exception. Well, it, it sounds like both the question and the answer of um, how we, we fix things, that um, we visualize that we're all on the same spectrum, and then um, if we work towards um, equalities and solving inequities, that will will also have this society in the future where we are on the same spectrum and no one is is being valued more important than the other uh, another race right is there you close? go there okay. you have it okay <laughs> there you have it my friend
Okay. And I'm saying, why is why is nobody else talking about this? Uh, well, most people have not spent the amount of time that I've spent thinking about it, and they don't have my background in communications and using art and visuals and words to communicate ideas. You know, that's what I did for what I've done it for 40, 50 years. Yeah. And so because of that background, then maybe that's why I have an insight. And because I'm an African-American and I have seen that problem all my life, I have an impetus or a reason to try to solve the problem. And I'm a creative person, so I have some ability, a talent to deal. So maybe that's why I'm one of the few people that I know who have gone this far with dealing with that issue and come up with what I think is a good solution, a viable solution that I now am presenting to others. Let me, um, let me thank you for, thank you for being here on the Uptown Community Podcast. Well, it's a pleasure to be here and uh, hopefully uh, you'll invite me again. Yeah. Hopefully everyone found that as insightful as I did. Thank you, Lowell, for helping me understand uh, your different approaches. Please buy Lowell's book, African Americans in Chicago at Macy. Please visit his color wheel in Uptown Chicago by the Broadway Racine split there. Remember to subscribe and help others do that. This is a word-of-mouth grassroots podcast. We have a website, uptowncommunitypodcast.com. There is a donate page, um, uptowncommunitypodcast.com slash donate. And you can subscribe to the newsletter for updated episodes. Thank you for listening, beautiful people. As a project of People's Church, the Uptown Community Podcast celebrates creativity, love, and humanity. The Uptown Community Podcast is supported with a grant from the Unitarian Universalist Funding Program.